Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Zach Phillips. He's the creative director of The Kitchen. It's a film production company. How's it going, Zach? I'm doing well. How are you? I am. Uh, I just moved. I'm working with a new audio setup and a different internet connection, so I apologize in advance for any technical glitches. We'll get there. Is it a bigger house or a smaller house or a... It is a smaller here? house. Smaller house. Yes. There there are life events occurring that I'm not able to talk about yet, but will soon. Dying to, actually. Do you have room for all of your animals? Um, I'm not going to answer that because it would lead to more questions. Got it. Fair enough. <laughs> Moving on. Um, so... Uh, one of the things, aside from film production that you do, is uh, you produced a podcast called Murder Town. Yeah, I call we called it the Murder Town Chronicles, and um, it was inspired by I I work in Wilmington, Delaware. I live in Philadelphia, um, and there was a uh, I was working actually with Joe Biden's daughter. She has a, a justice reform. Um, uh, basically a justice reform nonprofit that operates in Delaware called the Delaware Center for Justice. And they came to us trying to hire us to do a bunch of videos about different things impacting juveniles in Delaware. And I basically sold them on, instead of doing all that, doing a podcast, instead doing this audio only and focusing on just one kid's experience um, growing up in the juvenile justice system. And so that's how that came to be. So question, why did someone who works in film production choose to go audio only? Well, there were a couple of reasons. Um, One is because I've been obsessed with radio and um, audio my whole life. I mean, as a little kid, I would listen to old time radio at night on the local NPR affiliate um, because I couldn't sleep at night. And that's what I would do is just stay up listening to things like Jack Benny and, you know, Gunsmoke and the um, the Whistler and all these old, you know, the shadow, all those old shows. And so I always wanted to do something like this. Um, But the other reason was budget. (laughs) Their budget wasn't very big. And film production is maybe next to, you know, application development, one of the most expensive media you can get into. And so I thought, well, maybe I could pull off doing a highly produced podcast kind of by myself um, without having to involve my whole team and everything. So that's that's how that happened. At the point when this started, was this uh, pre or post serial? This was post serial. Um, Yeah, this this happened not to be confused with, you know, post General Mills cereal. This was post cereal. <laughs> I don't know. The, after uh, all that talk about the shadow and Benny Hill. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We were, um, uh, this was earlier this year. And it's funny because a lot of people, when they listen to it, you know, because their only frame of reference for podcasts at all or the word podcast is cereal, they're like, oh, it's like cereal. And in some ways it is because it's four episodes, they're 20 minutes each, and they kind of, you know, I, I, I leave my best version of a cliffhanger at the end of each one, you know, so it has a little bit of that, but it's much, much lower. Uh, but it does follow a serial storytelling format. 
It does. It follows so. a kid named Ricky Reyes as he grows up um, and starts going to prison basically at the age of eight and then kind of what what he goes through. So their, their message in, in hiring you to make this would be about the reform system or problems with the uh, justice system or the actual prison system? Um, problems with the justice system in general, you know, some of them, you know, they're, they're pretty wonky and, but stuff like it's very difficult for, to get your juvenile record expunged. There's all these crazy hoops you have to jump through and money you have to pay. And this is even if you were only arrested, but never even convicted that can show up on background checks. So you could do something at the age of 13 that prevents you from getting a job when you're 30. Um, which is kind of insane. And that's just one example. There's dozens of things like that, um, that make it really, really difficult if you're basically, if you're a poor black kid from Wilmington, um, or from, from Delaware. So, or from anywhere. Yeah. From anywhere. Um, and that it's funny because I, the reason it's called the Myrtle murder town Chronicles was because Newsweek came out with, um, a story where it's, it, the headline was Murder Town USA, uh, subheadline Wilmington, Delaware. <laughs> and of course, people in Wilmington loved that. Um, it was a big, big problem. Everybody was super angry. And um, But what's interesting is the, the murder rate that they were referencing and everything is, is pretty much the same in every, in every city in America. It's it's only different based on the demographics of the city. So the fact that Wilmington had this high murder rate, well, it's comparable to a, a, a neighborhood which is the same size as Wilmington in any other city that just happens to have the same demographics and the same how much people make, et cetera, and the racial makeup. So it I, I, I really wanted to approach it as here's a – this is not about Wilmington. This is about – any city in America where this stuff is happening. Any murder town? Yeah. Uh, Sorry, that was my attempt at combining any town USA with murder town. It didn't work as well as it did in my head. Any murder town USA. You just have to say it faster. (laughs) You'll be good. Um, Okay, so when you say that the murder rates are equivalent based on if the uh population and economic status line up and other eco social criteria um do you think that news headlines pick one city to be the most dangerous place in the world because they know that the other 100 highly populated areas will then be super happy that it's not them i don't know you know <laughs> i mean i <laughs> I think obviously it makes for a catchy headline. I mean, to say this is the most dangerous place in the world, right? And there's a reason why we're attracted to that to that kind of stuff. Um, mostly because that's all we pay attention to. It's very connected to all all of storytelling. Um, you know, as a filmmaker or storyteller in general, the first thing you're looking for is what's the problem. Um, you know, what's the conflict? What's the, where's the drama? And if there's no problem, then our brains are essentially wired to not pay attention. We're, we pay attention when there's a problem. So 
that's how, you know, all of those negative headlines everywhere are what carries the day. And, but it's, it's funny cause like borders around cities, you know, the way we draw up maps is totally arbitrary. So, okay. Wilmington and Delaware just happens to be a city that's significantly poor, um, you know, compared to Philadelphia, for example. Um, but there's areas of Philadelphia that look exactly like Wilmington. So it's not, and, and they have the same types of problems as Wilmington. So it's really kind of, it's, it's just kind of looking. Okay. So I assume the podcast was pretty well received. It's really well done. I got to listen to a lot of it. Well, there was a lot, there were a lot of people in Delaware who were angry that we named it that, um, but otherwise, everybody who usually kind of responded in immediately with anger, when they would then listen to it, I would get messages saying like, wow, I, I think this is really, this is really well done. And the best part for me was I, I even got people saying that they thought this was important. Um, and I don't, I don't, I'm not super proud of most of the stuff I've done. I, I pretty much am still in this place where almost everything I do is like, I have 30 excuses why it's not good or why I, I'm just not good enough yet to do it. But this, this project I really am kind of proud of just because I, I feel like it, it did what I wanted it to do, which was basically introduce people to, um, the kid that they're scared of. And that's the way I'm putting it, you know, is like, you've got, you've got this picture of the inner city black youth, you know, boy between 15 and, and 25, who's dangerous. And, and, uh, and that's sort of what's always portrayed in the news. And that's the stereotype. And that's always there. And I thought, well, why don't we just talk to exactly this kid, exactly that person. And, find out what they're about and that's what that's what this was for and i think i think we we pretty well succeeded so was that the initial directive from the uh what was it delaware center for justice no they they had they had no idea that that's what i was gonna do so i i, I was just like hey why don't you let me do this and they sort of trusted me and they ended up really happy with it because if they had just gotten a bunch of videos, you know, little animated videos explaining problems in the juvenile justice system, it, you know, it wouldn't have gone anywhere. This got a lot of attention. It got we, we had a, an event to um, listen to the final episode and over 200 people showed up just out of nowhere. It was kind of crazy. And there were people from all over different areas to listen to a podcast together in like a theater. It was it was pretty cool. That is really cool. So, yeah. so what was the, uh, what was the why? Um, yeah, so I have this, uh, this point of view that, cause I'm, I'm pretty politically active, especially in the last couple of years. And I think this is particularly relevant now. My, my point of view is if you feel strongly about something and strongly against things or against groups of people, it's basically on you to try to speak those people's language. And and I'm being a little cryptic here. Let's take, for example, 
people who we consider racist or consider, you know, out of touch or idiots, uh, you know, that you might, you might just think all, oh, you might group a whole, a whole group of people together and say, they don't understand what's going on. My point of view is because you want them to change their mind, you, it's, it is incumbent upon you to do that. Um, you're the one who, who has to reach across and learn what they're saying and speak their language. So and I, that might seem very obvious, but I don't see it a lot. You know, most of the, most of the news and info snacks that come across the, the Twitter stream and everywhere are, you know, basically echo chamber people yelling at, at the world about the things they, they don't agree with and not as much kind of reaching out and say like, well, why, why do these people feel that way? You know, what, and what do they mean when they say that, you know, and that's, that's, um, with murder town, I was like, well, Hey, could I take a young, um, relatively uneducated, um, very poor black guy and introduce him to a bunch of very privileged white people in the suburbs in a way that is real, but that they could, that, that they will, that they will see their own kids in him as opposed to just see him as this, 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 this other that, that they don't understand if that makes sense. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that, and that's, and, and, and in order to do that, I actually have to be much more sensitive to those white people in the suburbs feelings than I do to my feelings or to the kids feelings, if that makes sense. They're the ones who I'm trying to reach. Right. So I have to be, I have to be cognizant of what what their um, hang-ups are. So, like for example, one one example I, I bring up is white privilege. This idea of white privilege. If I use the word white privilege, <laughs> it will immediately turn off the exact people that I'm trying to reach. Even even though it's 100% correct terminology, it's a concept they need to understand. When I say that. What they actually hear is, oh, so it's my fault that you don't have any money? Like, oh, so it's my fault that, you know, you went to jail or you broke the law? And it's a, it, you, you cut off any chance of reaching them with the message that really is contained in the white privilege that you want them to get. Yeah. I, so I, that's, so people that, that's, yelling at each other all the time, and we've developed this, um, overall reaction to these buzzwords, these politically correct buzzwords. I mean, even if they are actually correct. And I think we saw this year that a lot of people have reacted to words like that or phrases like that to such an extent that they want to abolish all the thought behind it. Yeah. And it's really scary. It's real bad. Um, and I just don't see the reaction being the the right reaction of like, well, wait a minute, we're going to focus on like, even that, like, we're going to focus on the neo-Nazis who, who were, you know, involved in, in the Trump campaign. But that's not, that is a small percentage of the people out there who voted for this guy. And those people, if, if we want to get back to a place of 
civility, like those are the people who we need on our side. And if calling them neo-Nazis, if you think that that's going to get them onto your side, you know, <laughs> like that, that's not, it, it, it's just not productive. So I'm, I'm in a, I'm, this was the first year that I really worked hard on a lot of causes that I care about. And at the end of the year, I just kind of, I literally went into the woods and cut down a bunch of trees and burned, you know, a did, fence, you know. Did you find it, Hillary like just, Clinton in there? I did not, I did not find her out there. I actually went down to Georgia. Uh, I'm not the reason that there were wildfires, by the way, but I went down to Georgia and, um, and went up to my, the place where my grandpa used to go and I just needed to get away, man. It was rough. Like it was a bad what is the bad. phrase went down to Georgia ring familiar? Oh, I remember. <laughs> oh yeah. The devil did that. The devil once did that. <laughs> so, so you, yeah, you, you, you were politically active and you said this is kind of a new thing for you. And I, I like that you took, a, I was politically active all through my teens and, and twenties. Um, a lot of, uh, rallies and, and protests and uh, yelling at people with words that they didn't want to hear things like white privilege and um, probably not that word, but uh, similar, you know, words that just caused instant uh, people would turn off. They wouldn't listen. And at the end of that, you know, when I finally got too busy to, to even think about that stuff, um, I realized that I, I never made a difference. I expressed my voice. I felt good about having said my piece. So when everything crashed, I would, you know, be able to say, hey, I told you so. But it didn't do anything. It didn't change anything. And I like that your approach has been a lot more um, collected, civilized, and something that is actually targeted to be heard. Yeah, I, I'm... Uh... I've become much more, I'm sure you, I, I know this is true for you too, but I've become much more protective of my time in recent years. And when, you know, you spend a lot of time doing, you being on a lot of different, uh, let's say volunteer efforts and, and different things, I, I just started to say, wait a minute, like what are the things I'm doing that actually matter at all? And like, how can I <laughs> not, spend as much time as I am doing stuff that doesn't, that, that, that isn't actually moving the ball in any, in any particular direction. So how does that apply then to, uh, the murder town chronicles? Well, this is, it's, it's funny because this, the, the, the big problem I have as a, business person in general, which by the way, our, my business is a little film production company, but it's grown really fast and we're about three years in and now we have 13 full-time people and we're moving to a new big space and we're doing a ton of work. Um, but there's a part, there's an aspect to what I'm trying to do for a living that I'm not really comfortable with, which is self-promotion. And 
Murder Town's a good example because I actually think it's a pretty good thing. Like anybody, I've had people just kind of spontaneously reach out to me and say, oh my God, this thing really affected me and you did such a great job and thank you, which I find that to be really, um, um, like th that's, that indicates to me that this was something pretty good. But the next step in that is, okay, now I've got to go put it out there, right? I've got to go promote it. And that's not something that I do. I'm not going to promote. It's funny because I'm on your show and we're talking about my <laughs> podcast. But I, I this is a new this is a new territory for me completely. I, it's not in me to say like, "Hey, come check out the thing I did." Um, but it's it's 100% you know critical for <laughs> someone who's trying to do, let's say, entertainment or storytelling or creating apps or whatever, you know, like the ability to go out and like promote yourself is something that I never really thought about having to do. And now that I'm faced with it, I'm like, oh, what am I doing? What exactly is it about it that, that makes it hard for you? I think the biggest thing is that I'm not, I'm not super hot on anything that I've done, I don't feel like, okay, I stand behind this, right? It's not, I, that, that could be one piece. Um, I would have to give that some more thought, but I, I think, I think there's also just a personality piece to it of just, I'm not, I'm not somebody to brag or whatever. Uh, and I, I, I guess oh, you know what else it is. It's it's sort of like motives. Um, I don't want anyone to feel like I'm trying to get something from them. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I don't like like for example, if I was throwing it out whenever I I have, which I did with the with the podcast for one, like I actually posted on my Facebook and said. Hey guys, just so you know, sorry to you know post this, but I I am kind of proud of this one little thing I did. And if any of you like podcasts, this is kind of like the podcast you probably like, and maybe check it out. You know, like that's the, that's my attempt at self promotion. <laughs> a a self deprecating attempt at self promotion. Yeah, that that that's all I can muster. That's what's there, and I don't know if if that's something that's faced by a lot of people who, you know, have been trying to make something great for a while and then they get to a spot where they have something pretty good and then they're like, oh, wait, now I have to go talk about it. Yeah, I've, he I've heard this story before for sure. I think it's pretty yeah. common, but you'll find that any good salesperson, go to any car, use car lot, they will make you feel like they're not getting anything out of it. If they know what they're doing, they will be able to make it feel like it's all about you. And that is that is the secret to self-promotion, even when you are going to profit if people listen to you. You need to make it make it feel like you did it for them. But the other half of that is just developing trust. If someone has learned to trust the things that you do promote, when you promote yourself, they take it way more seriously. I I'm personally I don't think I have any problem bragging about myself or my work. Uh per, perhaps to a, a an extent that it's not it's not humble a lot of times and uh, I think that could be problematic but um, I have I worked in advertising for long enough to 
learn how to phrase a message. So I feel like it's something you get better at over time. You should keep you doing just, it. You just figure it out. Well, also, you have to actually believe in what you're selling. Uh, and if you have that, if you do actually believe in it, at that point, it's just a matter of phrasing. Phrasing. So it's about them. It's not about me. Yeah. Right. It's it's what you're going to, what, what, what they're going to get out of it, not what you're going to get out of it. All right. All right. Lessons in sales from Brett Terpstra. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause okay. I've, I've made so much money in my lifetime that I should be giving advice. That was sarcasm. Um, that was also the wrong accent on the wrong syllable of sarcasm. I'm sure someone was like, no, that's how I say it. That's fine. <sighs> Just trying to appeal to as many people as possible. So did you say sarcasm? Sarcasm. sarcasm. I said sarcasm. Like it was, uh, some kind of chasm, like a an unchasm. I don't even I know what the thing. prefix "sar" means. I have a thing that I do where I will intentionally mispronounce words just because I find them funny to mispronounce. So, like, I'll say "chasm," um, but the problem is if you do that in the wrong company, people think you're not smart. I'll say "gif." Well, "gif" is correct. Oh man, this is going to be another episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, now I gotta collect it's not, myself. It's not, it's not. Look, it's not graphics interchange format. That's not what it is. It's, it's graphics. I'm not. But I'm not good. doing this right now. Okay, <laughs> we're not. We're not I, having that. I disagree, but I'm not gonna say you're wrong because I'm not gonna okay. do this right now. Collecting myself. Okay, we're not doing... Where? Um... <laughs> oh. Sh um. Okay. So, uh, you you have a personality that that seems very. Uh, Humble, it's almost like you don't want to be noticed. Do you prefer to be invisible and behind the scenes? Maybe, but but then again, like, why did I go into f being a filmmaker? You know, that's kind of weird, right? It, it, hey, because, why... because you're behind the camera. Yeah, that may be. That may be. Because you didn't want anyone though, making I mean, films. I mean, I've run my mouth you. for this whole time, you know? <laughs> I mean, like, I do like being in front of a crowd um, I guess I just don't, I find it to be un, uncool or something so to you talk say, about yourself. So you say you don't have opinions, yet you consider yourself politically active now, which I feel requires opinions. Oh, no, no. I was saying I do have opinions. Oh, you do have I was have saying opinions. I have a lot of, I said I have a lot of opinions about everything and I want to <laughs> talk about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what is it that makes you feel uncomfortable talking about them? Um... We're going really psychological here. Yeah, I tend deep. to do that. We're going deep. I'm, um, I guess, yeah, I guess I wish I could control another character to do the things I want them to do, which this explains my filmmaking. So here's what it is. I want to be able to get all of my opinions out there and to speak my piece on all the things, but I'd like to direct some actor who's kind of, so I don't have to, I don't have to be the representation to be judged of that. This is a, I'm just guessing. This is right off the top of my head right now. So you want to be but, a puppet master? Yes, I do. I want to be a puppet master, and I and I need more pe I need more of me anyway. So this kind of works out. <laughs> I'm gonna have lots of little people who are gonna express the right opinions, and they'll come from the right voices, and then people will listen, and then everything will be good. 
I feel like work. there are some very successful people in the world that we don't know about because they are really good puppet masters. Yeah, like they're doing it. Well, well, but that's the thing, right? When you hear about the people that you admire throughout history who have done so many great things, it's like they didn't do those things. <laughs> There's no they, they didn't. They had armies of people who did the things and they were managers. Or they just you know, they were steal man- things. Well, or that yeah, but they stole things, but but they had the, on on some level they weren't actually doing the work because there's no time for them to do the work. They they were in meetings or whatever. They were at marketing meetings. We really want, as as people, as humans, we really want someone to credit with big things, though. And they can give all the speeches they want about how all the people made this possible. I'd like to thank everyone. You know, it's not me, it's them. It doesn't matter because we want a hero. So it's yeah. going to happen no matter how... How humble you are, but unless the, you're that really good puppet master. But the heroes make you feel inadequate because you start thinking about everything that they're accomplishing, and then you're like, "Oh, why can't I do all those things?" Um, but then you then you figure out like, "Oh, it's because like I need a I need a staff." You know, I, I know <laughs> plenty of people who are happier as staff than they are as figurehead. Uh, people yeah. who would rather know to themselves that they created something rather than take public credit for it. Hopefully that's most people, right? Uh, hopefully it's a larger number because it just wouldn't work out otherwise. <laughs> um, but you do. So, but you're, you, uh, you're incredibly prolific, uh, in terms of how many things you're able to create and get done. And this is something that's always, um, amazed me. This is why I'm a fan of yours is I, I, you know, and you've talked many times in the past about your ADD and other things, but when I, when I try to accomplish little things and by little things, I'm not, you know, you've done little things and big things, but all of the, all of the little tools that you've created that people basically live in or live on, um, when I start going down that road and start trying to build things, I fall off into just rabbit holes that never end, and I'm never able to to actually get to a spot where I'm shipping the thing unless it has a real due date on it. Um, and that make that's always made me feel like because I actually I spent a couple of years as a Rails developer and doing like different CMS things. I was just basically a web guy, um, but it just never felt like it was right for me because I always end up down a rabbit hole and up until 4 a.m. or 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 longer and then unsatisfied that I didn't figure out what I needed to figure out and nothing's quite right yet and it's never quite right. And then it, I don't know if that makes sense. It does because I totally do that. I uh, That's why I have so many small tools out. Is because instead of making them big tools, I went down a rabbit hole and then decided to just release <laughs> what was working, even if it didn't solve the original problem I was, or, or the problem that evolved as I was trying to solve it. Um, and half the time, I end up just putting out the solution uh, to a problem, even if it was just something I discovered along the way to solving a larger problem. I, I've learned to to 
know when to release something instead of uh, obsessing over it. And uh, my big my big tools, my big projects are you know fewer and far be- fewer and further further. Thank you. Uh, uh, fewer and further between because so many of them do get derailed by rabbit holes and staying up late and all of that. I've been through long phases of that. And I finally learned (laughs) only very recently that going to bed actually helps solve problems. Staying up and getting more and more tired as I go just makes it less and less likely that I'll actually find an answer. So are you able to just with that unsatisfied feeling where something's broken and you can't figure it out, you're able to stop and say, all right, I'm going to bed now and I will address this problem. I'll pick up tomorrow. You'll probably hate this answer as much as I did when I was going down a lot of rabbit holes, but I got into meditation and uh, just mindful meditation. I can, I can force myself to do that. Even if I'm not ready to stop, I can sit and and kind of collect myself, focus on what's actually in my mind rather than what I'm obsessing over in my frontal lobes. And, uh, and yeah, I can break out of it. It used to take me days. If I had to leave a project that I did not feel I had a satisfactory answer to, like to go on a camping trip, that was kind of my, it would always take me the first 24 hours of a camping expedition to be able to let go of what I was working on. And that when you are, you know, not cut off from the internet and your computer, it's a lot harder to get yourself to do 24 hours. So uh, I found that was kind of the only way was just to go go out in the woods with a tent. Um, but yeah, no, I've gotten better at just saying, okay, I know that it's late and I need to sleep and this is getting really frustrating. If I just stop long enough to meditate, then my brain will stop and I'll be able to lay down and get a good night's sleep and usually wake up with the answer. My subconscious brain is way better than I thought it was. See, I, I don't hate that at all. I, I, um, I've just never used meditation at that moment, um, but that's a really good idea. I'm going to go ahead and do that. Those are the moments I need it most. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, I have like, I, I like, I got mine into like a routine. I take the, I take the train to work and actually my office is in a train station, which I, <laughs> I, I didn't mention, but it's really great. Um, and on the train I'll usually meditate. So it's like, okay, I get my 20 minutes in the morning on the train and 20 minutes on the way home. But yeah, like while I'm not, I haven't figured it out and I'm really frustrated and I know, and like my wife talks to me and I like, I, I want to like snap at her just because I'm frustrated at the problem, mm-hmm. but not yeah. at her. And, and, uh, th- that that's the moment when I should stop and, and bring it, bring it down. Totally. And it's also good to have, to, to let your partner know, to remind you when they see this happening, uh, just suggest gently, maybe you should meditate. And if you're not already too perturbed with everything that's distracting you, that's actually a good reminder. But you that have to you have to give them permission. Uh, I I personally would never feel comfortable like telling someone what they need to do in situations like that because that's <laughs> like guaranteed conflict if they're not ready to hear it. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. 
All right. See, my, yeah, because I'm like, just five more minutes, five more minutes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'll that, say that, five more minutes, and that would easily be 30. And if I said 10, it would easily be two hours. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, right. Well, plus, the, the feeling of frustration for me really stems from knowing that what I'm doing isn't working, but that I've gone down a rabbit hole and what I'm doing isn't even solving the original problem. it's solving a secondary problem and I've completely lost track of the original goal. And then I like, I know that in the back of my head, but then I'm stuck on this tangential project and I'm knowing that everything is just getting more complicated the whole time. (sighs) What, what about like at that point, do you ever get into spots where you're then just researching the best solution to something forever and you're and like there's no good answer anywhere and it's just like because that that's that's I, I'm, I guess the one of the things about programming and I want you to kind of give me the secret to everything programming right now which I know you won't be able to do but this <laughs> is what I want I I suspect after years of being a bad terrible programmer and never really what I cross what I consider to be some type of Rubicon into where, oh, I'm actually a developer now. Like I understand, I I don't I can't just make myself sound like a developer. Now I really am one. Um, I haven't never crossed that Rubicon, and I suspect it's because code that there is, that that there really are infinite ways to do anything. And that me looking for, hey, well, what are the cool kids doing or what are the best people doing or what is, how does this, what is the correct way to do this? That there is no correct way? Is that, am I, is that correct? Okay, so I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, if I had to be totally honest, I would never call myself a developer, even though I have developed many really? things. Yeah. What are you talking it, about? It's like an imposter syndrome kind of thing. Because I talk to like brilliant coders like Daniel Jalcut, and just I I realize how little I know about what I do. Uh, because for me, it often just becomes about make it work, solve the problem. And when I you know when I research and I find out something does not currently have a good solution, that's exciting to me. I'm like, all right, let's let's make it work. So I'll go and I'll look for similar problems. I'll like generalize the issue find people who have done work in this in a similar way and see how they solved it and then just kind of make it work and uh i'm there's very little code i've written that i'm super proud of but i've gotten it to work and like with marked my my largest current commercial application um i i've made it work well enough that i've you know kept it going through four operating system updates and i've been able to update the code and keep things modular. And that is (laughs) like anything I did five years ago. I usually, I usually hate. Um, but it's one that I've been, I planned ahead enough that I'm comfortable like refactoring entire parts of it, which is kind of a big step for me because that's not usually the way it goes. Yeah. I see. I've got to say marked marked is 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 just an essential uh, uh piece of software i'm not just blowing smoke i do i do still feel like there's just that that paradigm like what you can if we can just get marked down like marked to me is the closest we've 
we thing we have to start to try to get the rest of the world to think this way that you should be <laughs> writing for content, but it's not quite there because people still don't understand how to get their head out of like the page model. Right. There's still a, uh, I, too much of a, um, thought cur a thought bump, like a learning curve to actually jump in. Yeah. And I, and, but one thing I, I'm, I, I, have you ever looked at Prince XML? I'm sure you have. Yeah. So is there, I've been using Prince to auto generate little things that I use at work for film production, like little call sheets or little, um, uh, sides or they're, you know, parts of scripts to give to actors and stuff. And it's just a quick way for me to like take a bunch of fountain text and drop it into a thing. And then it spits out this perfectly formatted thing the way I want. Um, but it, it, it works with like the latest, not even the latest, like stuff that's not out yet that gives you page numbering and section numbering and stuff like that. Yeah. Is it, I, yeah, this isn't a well, text to be call. fair. Have you ever dropped a fountain file on marked? I have. In fact, I, I was the one who requested the script it support, which you added <laughs> like a while back. Yeah. Uh, it's not perfect. Um, and, and Prince XML actually gives you so many formatting options, but it's totally not accessible to the average. No, but, that, but that's the thing. It, 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 if there were a GUI, to print, so if there was marked with Prince XML on the backside with some type of gooey like page designer thing, yeah. this is a terrible idea. But <laughs> I, I bet you we could get it to the masses. My point is we could we could cross that and we could say everybody now types in Markdown and then you just spit out these perfect, beautiful documents. It's like a it's a dream. That would it, actually be necessary us, to get to that point though. Let us whisper of a dream. I I have it's been my um my unachievable goal thus far to combine the simplicity of markdown with some kind of more powerful layout. I have so many options, but a lot of them require writing more code than just learning markdown syntax, which adds a a barrier to entry and yeah, it should happen though. I agree. Yeah. So, that should bring us to our top 3 picks, huh? Yeah, I think so. I feel like that was a, a really uh, uh, abrupt but uh, fluid transition, like going off up the edge of a waterfall. Like you're yeah, still right. in the stream, but you're in a very different part of the stream, and it's way bubblier. So <laughs> uh, what's your first pick? <clears throat> so believe it or not, my first pick – actually, I'm going to – so I want to preface this by saying that – I decided with my top three picks to be super generous today. And by that, I mean, I'm going to let you let you in on some secrets that are so good that I shouldn't even tell you that like I'm reluctant to tell you because I don't want everybody to know. That is very that, like, titillating. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, the first one is going to be a big letdown right after that. <laughs> that, that. But uh, um, uh, the city of Philadelphia is my my first pick, the city of Philadelphia. Have you ever been to Philadelphia? I have. You have. Um, how long ago? Mm, ten years. Ten years. Philadelphia is, I think, the best kept secret right now. 
in America in terms of a place to move to. All of the places that have gotten too expensive, like people from those places come to Philadelphia. It's not too expensive, and it's awesome. It has all the things that those other places have, and it's centrally located. I can be in New York in an hour, literally in an hour, just like boom. Like it's like a you could you could work in New York and live here, and you can be anywhere else. And it's got super great history. It's got beautiful old architecture. It's got the best restaurants, I swear. Like really great restaurants everywhere. There's like three good new restaurants that open every week. Um, yeah. It's good. I will admit that last time I was in Philadelphia, I let's see. No, I wasn't then. The first time I was in Philadelphia, I was a heroin addict. And my view of it, it looked a lot like Baltimore to me at that point from that. <laughs> street level view um, parts of it do look like Baltimore yeah and I don't like Baltimore I don't <laughs> okay. love Baltimore um, but no I do remember the last time I went to Philly it was more of a, a family trip with someone else's family but um, yeah the restaurants were great it, it's also sorry go ahead no I it was going to be a stupid question go ahead the the it, the way one of the ways I like to characterize it is, you know, New. So Washington D.C. feels far too sterile to me. It's like everything is clean and like the people are clean and everything is just clean. And then New York City, there's actually like a film of humanity over everything. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just dripping with humans. You know, and 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 Philly's like the perfect in between. Like it's got an edge to it. It's still pretty. It's like it's kind of filthy, but in a good way. But it's got all that good culture and the stuff that you'd want from a big city. So I recommend anybody who's paying, you know, three thousand dollars a month for rent in Manhattan or San Francisco, just come visit Philly for like a few days. Come check it out. It's awesome. That that is a, a ringing endorsement. <laughs> yes. So, um, your what's yours? Uh, yeah, my first pick's gonna be uh, I fix it toolkits in general, but especially the Protect Toolkit Plus Magnetic Project Mat. Um, it's an eighty dollars set of tools, but it gives you every possible Torx and like P one through P five uh, drivers, a great little magnetic. Uh, uh, what do you call the part of a driver that's not the actual bit? The driver? I don't know. Um, I'm not good with that. <laughs> but then you get a magnetic mat that you can use a dry erase marker on. So you can set screws that you take out on it and label like where they're from or even draw a diagram of what you're taking apart and put the screws in the right places. It's got a uh, suction cup for pulling faces off of things like iPhones. It's got spudgers and tweezers and it's an altogether amazing toolkit that has replaced all of my other individual tools I've bought. Um, but in general, ifixit.com has amazing kits and instructions and all of that. But the pick will be the, the protect toolkit. See, I bought, um, I bought that kit and I like that kit. It's cool. Um, I, but the one thing I tried to fix with it, I, I couldn't fix. I failed. What'd you try to I fix? Was I was trying to fix a, a, a pair of Bose Quiet Comfort. They're my wife's. She has like this, you know, the most expensive headphones that break, you know. Um, 
instantly. And I tried to, but it was beyond, it was outside my, I, I, I was like, I'm going to be super fancy and I'm going to fix this. Um, I'm going to be really handy and I'm going to impress my wife and everyone, but it didn't happen. Um, I, what do you I, fix with your, I fix it first. I think it's impressive that you tried. Thank you. <laughs> um, I I've taken apart, I've replaced batteries and MacBook airs. I've added hard drives and replaced hard drives and Mac minis. Um, I've fixed, uh, display issues, like not nothing huge. You know, it's usually just, if you can get to the problematic part, you can replace it for 10 bucks rather than paying service fees. But, uh, Nothing, yeah. nothing amazing, nothing involving soldering irons or anything. Yeah. See, I think, I think just having the iFixit kit though, just having the bits themselves or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Just those is worth this 69 bucks or whatever it costs. 79. Although there's probably deals on it elsewhere. Um, but yeah, like there, there are two pairs of tweezers that changed everything for me because I had a lot of tweezers. Uh, but the ones in the kit are so high quality and they have these super sharp points at different angles and they they've been useful well outside of the realm of uh computer repair. Um, the tweezers alone to me are, you could probably buy them separately, but anyway, what's your number two? Very good. Uh, number two is something, um, oh man, I'm starting to sound very east coast elitist but it's a uh it's it's amtrak's red cap service this is another secret okay like philadelphia is a secret but this is actually a secret like nobody understands this isn't like a red hat society is it it's not a red hat society but it's it's almost as good um so if you're at a i actually don't know what a red hat society is for the record um if you're if you're at a train station, especially a busy one, such as New York's Penn Station, which is a terrible place, by the way. But if you're there and you're waiting for a train with about, you know, 300 other people looking up at this board with your head kind of tilted back looking at the board, um, there's this secret where if you just go to one of the guys who has a red hat on, and they're all guys, at least everyone I've ever seen, um... You go up to them and you say, hey, I'm on this train. And they will take you to the train with your luggage. And the problem is sometimes I don't have luggage. I just have a backpack on. And I just hand, I just like hand them my backpack and they throw it on the thing. It's really ridiculous. It's, they, they do it for tips. But it's like, it's like a broken part of Amtrak that just happens to end up. So they will take you to the train. Before anyone else gets to go, and they will put you in exactly the seat you want, or in my case, if you like the cafe car, because you get a lot of work done because you got a nice big surface in front of you. So for anyone on the East Coast, which I'm sure there's, you have a lot of listeners on the East Coast, if you're taking Amtrak, I cannot believe I'm telling you this because this could ruin it for me and for everyone else. <laughs> you just go to one of these red cap guys and maybe give them five bucks or ten bucks but you don't have to wait in line and you get exactly the seat you want and you get to go before everybody else. So, okay. Are these people paid by Amtrak? Yeah, they're Amtrak employees. Wow. Okay. And what type of hats are they? Uh, they're, 
they're, currently they are uh, they're they're just like baseball caps. Okay. Yeah. They might have other versions of the red cap, but I've only seen the baseball cap. They're wearing red shirts too, generally. Well, and that's easy. Yeah, I mean they're pretty easy to spot, and I think, um, you know, by design they're supposed to be there for the elderly or you know uh, someone who's dis- you know has disabilities, but they're there for anybody. Um, like you, they just help you get your luggage onto the train and find your seat. But um, in a place like Penn Station, that makes a huge difference. Sometimes sure. you get on the train a half hour before anybody else does. You can sit down and get started on your work, you know. This is this is intriguing. What yeah. happens if you don't tip them? Do they all like gang up on you? I I I would never not tip them. <laughs> um but, just don't take the chance. But I can imagine that there's actually a whole like there's a whole unwritten system of rules and punishments for things like that. Well, so being East Coast, are you familiar with the Guardian Angels? No. Uh, they they wear the Red Berets. They've been around since '79. Uh, and uh, are they are they bikers or is this no? Like just it's a not person? Hell's Angels. It's it's basically a vigilante kind of crime prevention. Not oh. not generally violent, although that has been an issue for them. Uh, but they. Uh, they were organized to com- combat violence on New York subways. And they kind of, you'll find them, you'll see them in New York still. At least I did, but it's been a while since I've been there. Uh, red berets. Just red berets like bright red? Yeah. Like the wow. same berets you'd see on military. Wow. Let's see. Who wears red berets? We have... 82nd Airborne Division, 173rd Airborne Brigade, uh, Parachute Infantry Brigade. Yeah, it's a, it's a special kind of... So I'm wondering if the red hat thing... Uh, if it's connected from that in any way. It seems like a, a commercialization, but still, this is a great tip. Next time I'm on the East Coast, I'll remember. All right, uh, what's your second one? Uh, my second one is going to be Set App, which has made the news lately uh my app mark is going to be included and it's currently in public beta i'll i'll post a link or at least an address where you can uh get a token i have a a bunch of tokens to give away uh to guarantee beta access and what it is it's an app store that is highly curated uh a limited number of applications all considered like best in category and if you, you, it's a subscription model, but you subscribe to the store, not to an app. So when you subscribe to the store, you get access to every app with no in-app purchases. There, everything's included. Updates are free and automatic. And as long as you're paying your $10 a month to, to be part of this, you get access to thousands of dollars worth of applications. And it's, uh, like the idea of subscriptions is very appealing to developers, but for users, once you get a couple apps that you're paying monthly for, uh, apps that are vital to your workflow and you feel you have to keep paying for them, it adds up. And to me, it reduces the chance that you'll continue to buy apps um, and and provide sustainable income to anyone. 
So I felt like this was, I was super excited to be invited because I feel like it is truly a revolution in the idea of software business models. Um, just out of curiosity, are they somehow metering the use of the yeah. apps in order to pay you guys? Okay. Yes. So, so but wouldn't that be weird for like some apps that don't require much interaction, but right. provide this, this has been considered. They, they use a, an algorithm basically that reports total runtime instead of launches. So a, a background app that runs on your computer all day gets a specific coefficient as a background app. Um, and developers have access to analytics. So if the user agrees to submit anonymous statistics that they can see how, how many people actually like opened or interacted with the app, but by default, by including the set app library, it's just going to show runtime. And there's, uh, like a two, I can't remember now. Is it a month? There's a long grace period. So if you, you end up offline and it can't report those statistics, you don't lose access to your apps. Um, and even if you, you stop the subscription, you continue to have access to the apps for a certain period of time. Um, but yeah, the, the payout, uh, uh, formula is actually, it, it's, it's very beneficial to developers. You, you make more if your app gets used more and, uh, they distribute based on the, the commercial price of the app. So it's that times launches times uh, oh. the general coefficient for your type of app. And then um, they take, just like the App Store, they take 30% for handling um, all of the financial and store maintenance and things that I consider totally worth the 30% that if I had to do on my own would cost me more than that anyway. Yeah. No, this is, uh, it's a really good idea. I'm so addicted to software though, that like all the apps I'm interested on in here, I've already bought. And, um, uh, and that's going to be a problem for some early adopter type people. It, it will, but, uh, developers are also incentivized to get current users to switch over to set app. Uh, they get lifetime referral bonuses on that. And, Ooh. uh, if all the apps you need are in the store, it's not like you're giving up your license. Um, I'm still allowed to sell through any other channel. Uh, as long as I keep my in-app purchases available to set app customers, I can, I can keep selling licenses. But if I get someone to go into setup instead of buying a marked license, I, I make a consistent revenue stream off of that. So I am, I am motivated to do that. Interesting. So I just, I just, uh, signed up for the beta just now. Should I have like done it some way with your with, with so that <laughs> well you the tokens credit. i have guarantee you like immediate access and i yeah i do get credit for referrals in those cases but uh it's not a huge deal if they give you access from your sign up you're set got it are there so and you 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 said that they're curating this list um obviously there's a number of apps on this list i i've not i'm not familiar with are you uh, generally happy with the quality of all of the apps in here? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I feel very honored to be in the company I'm in there. And I'm, as, the, as it gets uh, more recognition and people more people recognize it's a great idea, some of the bigger developers will join. There's been some hesitancy just because it's, you know, it's not tested yet. 
Right. And uh, people want to make sure it is potentially profitable before they kind of put their name behind it. So yeah, but the people, but the people who made it are are really good. Yeah, it's like. uh, it's created by MacPaw, who mm-hmm. has consistently made amazing software, and they build the uh, development platform DevMate, and uh, and sales platform. It yeah, they're good. I trust them. And some of these, like this this little app, which I I, I can already tell what it does because it's called PDF Squeezer. <laughs> But that's something that I need all the – that's fantastic, PDF Squeezer. Yeah, because I – might, I might have to go <laughs> – I might have to jump on here. Pre- preview can make PDFs, but uh, they are ridiculously large unless you know how to apply quartz filters properly. Uh, so, yeah, it is actually – it's one of those tools that absolutely worth its uh, its price on its own. And a lot of these apps would cost you, you know, 50 to $90 to buy once, and that's almost a year of – uh, set yeah. up right there, and also, and also, a lot of a lot of these people I haven't given money to in a while, so I feel like, oh, like I should sign, I should sign up for this just to, <laughs> you know, because like I haven't given the the pe- the iStat menus guys any money in a long time, right? You well, know, and that's like that. that's the problem with the model is is I make ten bucks, thirteen bucks now selling a copy of Mark, but then I am indebted to that person for years. <laughs> Without getting any more money, I Especially do customer people support. Like me who bother you all the time, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I end up doing an hour of customer support a day for people that may have bought marked in a bundle for two dollars three years ago, and I'm never going to get another dime from them. It's I I have no problem doing customer support. I enjoy it, but there there are those frustrations with the current model. Yeah, it, the model worries me. I really think Apple got it wrong. Um, I well, think they they, I, I think they got it wrong in terms of driving the price of apps down and thinking that that was the way to go. Um, that you know that that would make it better for, for their platforms. I don't think it long term. I think short term that was a good good idea, but long term <laughs> that was a terrible idea. I would totally agree. Yeah. Um, cool. My my third pick is uh so i thought long and hard about what is my favorite product in any category i have a lot of opinions about a lot of products um and they you know it's you can't always compare apples to apples but i actually think that the product with the highest customer sat in my life is dr bronner's magic peppermint soap in liquid form dr bronner's yeah (laughs) dr bronner's magic peppermint soap in liquid form is to me the best product in any category that I have ever used. <laughs> that is that is a strong endorsement. It um it's as close to perfect as anything that I think I've ever that I've ever found. Have um you, have you it, read the manifesto on the bottle? I've read parts of it. Um <laughs> it's long. Long and crazy. It. it adds to the you know, to the feel of the whole thing and the fact that they're very, um, you know, conscious of things like economic justice and everything is good. Um, but just on the stuff in the bottle alone, it is so good. It somehow manages to make you feel cleaner than anything else in the world while not having any harsh chemicals in it and while not drying you out. It like, 
it has the feel of like a really strong soap in terms of like, oh, I'm super clean, but it doesn't have any of the downsides of a strong soap in, oh, I'm all kind of dried out and I feel weird. And it, it works as shampoo and and uh, body wash. So you really just precisely. need one squirt for your whole body. Precisely. And it's a small squirt too. And I, I use it for my, I've used it for my hair and that's all I use in my hair and for years. And I, I even tried brushing my teeth with it for like one time because you can do that too. Yeah. And, and that was fine. But, you know, we're used to really tingly different toothpaste. So it's not the best for that. But um, it's great stuff. Yes. And anybody who hasn't tried it, oh, and it tingles, but in, in such a good way. Well, uh, tea tree oil most of, in most of the uh, variations of it. Uh, yeah, yeah. That. And I, I can't vouch, though, for the other flavors of it, uh, which I, I don't think. I know, but I've I've tried <laughs> I've tried them, and they don't have the same. They're they are on a at a molecular level, they are different, and they behave differently. And I, the peppermint one is the one that I. I I would agree. I have found the peppermint one for the attributes you are describing to be the most effective. That is uh, that's an excellent pick. I honestly never even think about the fact that that is my favorite soap in the world. All right. So my third pick is going to be Affinity Photo. Um, I don't know if, have you used Affinity Photo at all? I, I did buy it. Um, I got problems with photos, man. I got problems. <laughs> You're a professional in the industry. Yeah, photos. I, I have a real, my biggest, the, one of the filthiest corners of my life is Adobe software in general in that... I'm, I've lived in it. My mom actually published books about Illustrator and Photoshop. So I've been around that stuff my whole life and it's never quite been correct. It's never quite been good. And then the people who come out with alternatives that have been great, but I still end up back in the old thing yeah. because there's like something that I'm used to just knowing how to do, you know, or, it, or they, they haven't quite solved that because it's such a massive Piece well, of and software. that's the thing is Photoshop is hard enough to get good at that once you have the skills, it's really, there's n- not a lot of motivation to learn a whole new app just to get away from something you're already fluent in. Um, however, at the price they charge, even with the subscription Creative Cloud, I, and, and Adobe has made very strong efforts to ensure that no one can pirate their software. And the hacks I've used for years after I really couldn't justify it when it was like 600 bucks for Photoshop, um, those have finally uh, reached their limit. I can't just edit host files and, and block out connections. So I've been... Wait a minute. Are you admitting that you've broken the law? No. Uh, this is uh, <laughs> speaking for a friend. Right. Um, I, I'm not currently breaking the law because I've begun uh, very very fervently trying to learn new new apps and i found acorn and pixelmator both great but i just got affinity photo last week and i am really impressed it doesn't try to copy photoshop it actually has some different philosophies as far as layers and effects go but everything that i have been good at in photoshop i can find ways to do in affinity photo it's very complete. It's very well crafted, and 
it right now it's like thirty nine ninety nine, which compared to uh, an Adobe subscription or a flat out purchase is very cheap. I uh, I I would recommend it for anyone really trying to kick the Adobe habit. But he, but here's 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 a question though. When you're when so when you're logging in to your Creative Cloud account, are are you aware that the Creative Cloud login window is not Retina optimized? I actually have never subscribed to the Creative Cloud. Okay, but like <laughs> these are the things that make me go crazy. It's yeah. like you're you guys are the is it 400 pound gorilla or 700 pound gorilla 500 pound i think trump had gorilla. multiple ideas about that uh 700 well, pound would be the classic unless it's okay. a 400 pound hacker you are the you are the ones who are in charge of all the software that everyone uses to make all of the pretty things in the world <laughs> and your login window is fuzzy jaggies yeah and it's like and and that makes me feel like the rest of the software is the same way. I know it's not, but that it those little things matter. If I and find I think, a spelling or grammar error in the first chapter of a book, I can't finish it. Yeah. For the same no. reason. Yeah. Like you didn't look at your stuff. Like why should <laughs> I look at it if you didn't look at it? Or at um, least hire someone, you know, an editor or a web designer who knows our stuff. Yeah, take a look. <laughs> I, I, I think Affinity Photo, I the the biggest problem. I've got uh, actually I'm actually standing next to a box of hard drives that are from days past. I mean, I was a professional photographer. I have lots of different Lightroom catalogs and stuff, and I'm just waiting for the perfect solution to actually finally catalog and put all my photos in some nice place. And Affinity Photo, I know is that's not what it's there for, right. but I'm just bringing up my own personal problems. So uh, I, I assume you at some point used both Lightroom and Aperture? Yeah, I, I and and Aperture was very brief because I, you know, Lightroom, that was when I was just, Photoshop was my life at that moment. So Lightroom just integrated well and that's well, where I, I live. From, from most opinions I've heard, Lightroom has always been superior. I got into yeah. the Aperture ecosystem pretty heavily. And was, you know, very kind of, uh, we'll say, devastated that it has essentially been replaced by the very simplistic Photos app. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, yeah, I don't have a good solution for that either. But, you know, on the on that front, I'm actually, my company is one of the, the small percentage of video production companies that is that jumped onto Final Cut 10 all the way, like right from the start and love Final Cut 10. So I'm, I'm in this funny spot where, like I still wish they were developing it faster and doing more cool things, but uh, I actually think that there's some people in the pro apps teams at Apple who are doing a really good job. Unfortunately, they, you know, they cut Aperture, but like um, the new Logic I think is pretty good and Final Cut is, I think, great. Like really great, and I know a lot of people just hate it, but they if they just spent a few, a few more hours with it, um, it's really hard to go back. I would agree. I uh, I I switched over to Final Cut. I used to do video quite a bit, and went from a combination of After Effects and Premiere to Final Cut, and was always very happy. I did get Final Cut Pro Ten, and did not fully because I wasn't so embedded in the industry that 
I really uh, had all the complaints that everyone else did when 10 came out, but I didn't, I didn't understand why everyone was so mad. Yeah. Yeah. Disrupted some workflows, I think was the big issue, but. Well, yeah, but also it, 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 you, it's like learning a new, you know, like for example, I'm a Dvorak typist and I have been for like seven years, (laughs) but if you're going to do that, there's a really big upfront part that's not fun. (laughs) Right. Um, but if you get through that part, it's great. Kind of like figuring out how to make beautiful documents with Markdown. That's right. Learning curves. All right. So we'll wrap here. Uh, you can be found. Well, well, first we'll say murdertown.us is where you can find the Murdertown Chronicles. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, you're on Twitter as Zach Phillips. And you can find your production company at thekitchen.co. The, ki- the Kitchen Co. Um, anywhere else you want to mention? Uh, nope, that, that's really it. I do. Um, uh, if anybody, uh, likes the podcast, um, you know, please let me know. Leave some reviews. Oh yeah, there's that. Yeah. Cause it is an iTunes, right? Yeah. Leave a review. It doesn't have any reviews. So yeah. None? Yeah. We should fix that. Let's, uh, while you're at it, you can review systematic too, but yeah, go, go put some reviews up after you listen to it. That's that whole promotion thing. The review yeah. should definitely not be, I'm really angry that you called it Murder Town. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Because I live in Delaware and yeah, no, go listen to it and then review it. Very good. And thank you so much for having me on the show. You're quite welcome. I, uh, I'm I'm TT Scoff everywhere and you can find me at brettterpster.com and of course on Systematic and soon we'll be back to an overtired schedule. Uh, with Christina Warren, also on ESN. And uh, I'll leave it at that for now. So, yeah, thank you for being here. I appreciate your Saturday afternoon time. Thanks very much. And I missed the Syracuse-Georgetown game for this, so that's how much I really, really, Uh, really care. So appreciated. (laughs) All right. Thank you. All right. And we'll, uh, we'll see everybody in a week. Thanks for listening.